You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Um, Our theme music is a clip of Summer Nights by the Eric Jones Trio. It's provided by our friend Mark Chesanow, who plays with the Eric Jones Trio every Thursday and Sunday at Good Times Jazz Bar downtown. Hey everyone, welcome to Arts on the Air. This is Tamara Garvey, and I have the pleasure of sitting down with musician Trey Gurley. Welcome, Trey. What's up? So glad to have you. Oh man, I'm glad to be here with you. And I will just set the scene. We are sitting in your delightful music studio slash man cave in your backyard. It's amazing. Thank you. It has been a work in progress for many years. It's gone through a lot of incarnations, and the one I like the most is this one, which has air conditioning. So. <laughs> It's great. I love, uh, you have inspirational books all around. Can you kind of describe a little bit of the overview of the instruments you have in here? Oh yeah, I got, I have a, several guitars. Um, I'm left-handed, so I don't have a slew. I've got like five. Um, couple of, got an amp, small little Gretsch drum kit. I've got a tiny Hammond organ and a Rhodes piano. I've got an upright piano that used to be in B. Matthews, actually. Um, and then everything else is just other crap. And you've it's, got your studio equipment. I've got my little recording desk. I've got a bunch of sheet music, and I've got a and I collect musician biographies, so I've got a bunch of those. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't yeah. have a ton of art. I've got a lot of Panhandle Slims in here. You got great. It's Panhandle uh, Slims. There's a bust of Elvis. There's like a warthog head. Yeah. <laughs> it's very inspirational. My friend Tommy gave that to me, and he uh, his girlfriend said she hated it in the living room and he had to get rid of it so <laughs> he brought it over here so that's funny that's how that got here yeah it's just it's it's, it's leaning, a very it's odd leaning thing. over you as yeah. you create <laughs> yeah. weird okay well um we'll go ahead and start i want to read a little a sentence that i wrote down from your the bio of your website oh, which God. i love okay okay so, oh. yeah has it been maybe forever since you well i just it? told jessica it's time to redo it okay now you're but, here okay. it's Ooh. the first sentence i love this um born a decade too late Trey's voice embodies the heart and mind of jazz greats. Um, and then your bio goes on to point out that you actually started as a musician with saxophone and guitar, and then you developed into a vocalist. God, you could tell my wife we're all that, because I would never say any of those <laughs> okay. things. Okay, it's very um, poetic. Yeah, that, that was how I got started music, is like most kids do, I guess, my age, I'm almost 50, so in the school system, so where you would, in fifth grade, you get to pick an instrument. Mm. I picked trumpet. And that lasted for, I think, two weeks. I don't think my mom was having it, and I don't think <laughs> my too, lips too were noise. having it either. <laughs> um, so I got the, sa- the saxophone, I think was the only one left. I got that, and I stuck uh. with that all the way through college. Um, and I wasn't great. I played in a band in high, in high school and through band, and in jazz band, and even up to college. And I was okay, but I was not, it was not going to be my profession. Okay. <laughs> That, that saxophone was not your soulmate. No, I love playing it. I just, you know, there's, was everyone else, I, it was not my forte. I wasn't going to be a great player like yeah. so many other people are. So I was just going to leave that to the people. But it kept you where you were into music. Yes, At 100%. least, like, yeah, you were like, you're onto something. Oh, yeah, because I started playing guitar, and then I went through a phase where I played drums for a little bit, also horrible at that. But I was always wanting to, like, try to do other things. Yeah, to find you your know. thing. yeah. And you're, so tell us you're born and raised in Savannah, right? Born in Florida, um, in Deland, Florida, Ormond, or Ormond Beach. Uh, my mom's family's there. And I moved here, oh, I think I was two. Okay. Two and a half, something like that. Uh, when my parents moved up here, my dad's from Western Georgia. Uh, but I had a grandmother that was already living here and owned a hair salon. So my mom and my dad moved up here. They live next door to her in this little duplex. What area town was her hair salon? This was in Garden City. Okay. In fact, the property just came up off topic for sale. Wow. 702 Covington Avenue. Um, But at any rate. um, I think that means something. It's weird. Um, So yeah, we lived in Garden City for until I was, I don't know, seven or eight, and then we built a house in Pooler. Okay. Is that where you went to high school in Pooler? I went to high school in Garden City. But I, li- I was still living in Pooler. Was Pooler really new then? Was it a new suburb? Yeah, Pooler was pretty small when I was a kid. I mean, it was stereotypical early 80s small town America where there's it was one stoplight. You know, there was the wow. baseball field, which was kind of in the middle of the town at the time. Um, 
Yeah, pretty small. We rode our bikes everywhere. It's so funny to think of Pooler like that because now it just is, you know, sprawl. It's big box stores. Oh, yeah. It was all woods. Like the little tiny downtown area was there, but we would ride our bicycles down Bloomingdale and it was like a dirt road right next to the two-lane road. I mean, it was all woods. Were you, so when you were in high school, it was in the 80s, is that right? I went, well, I graduated in 93. So yeah, I wanted to ask your, your experience, your memories of like downtown Savannah when you were growing up. What was it, do you remember what it was like? Ooh, Would you wasn't ask, allowed sc- to come downtown. Okay. I mean, even when I could drive, I remember the first time I came really downtown by myself was our prom. Like was for a dinner? junior prom. Yeah, we went to... It's, it's the Bryce Hotel now. It was the old Mulberry Inn. Oh, yeah. And we had our prom there, and I remember my mom telling me, make sure you park close. And she was like, you know, there's a couple of squares near there. Do not go near those. Yeah. Do not, you guys don't go down there. Because it was not a very Yeah, early 90s. Nice so it was back then. Nobody, you never would just come downtown and bum around. No, because all we were doing, stuff. that was, we were at the height of the mall period. This is when the new mall had just been built. Okay. So we were Oglethorpe Mall. mall we were mall people. You were That's south side. You were go- That's where you were going yeah. after school. You were going to the mall if you didn't have to, like, work. And well, I didn't settled. start going downtown a lot until, I would say, when I moved back from New York. So that's right when the Starbucks opened. Okay. So that was, like, right at 2000. Okay. And, I, and when I started doing that... That's when Broughton Street was going through the transformation where all the local shops were closing, like the deli, the bagel shop across the street where Jessica and I used to go get bagels every morning, that closed. And then there was like a, the mom and pop like Asian place right here where we would go have lunch for like $3.99, yeah. that closed. It was like that winter, it like knocked out so many businesses oh, on Broughton Street. I remember in like 2001 or two or something like that, three. But it was horrible. And then it went, it was kind of dead for a couple of years. Mm. And then it went freaking bananas you know yeah you know in the mid-2000s yeah where was there used to be got Gottlieb's bakery was on oh right down from starbucks down there this is like how there used to be just until really recently you know um on bull street just below broughton street there was that like barber shop slash little diner place where you could go in and get a little little sandwich or an ice cream yeah that place that was there until super recently those dudes were so nice to me we go there it's always like a super cheap little sandwich oh yeah well, that was Cigarette Break Alley, you know, because yeah. Jessica and I were working at Starbucks. You smoke your cigarettes, you're staying in the alley. So we're always talking to those dudes. Yeah. Or um, a man that's always sitting on the bench there, that old, the old black gentleman. Outside and it used to shop. be, Jimmy used to sit there. He's passed. That was Magic Mark's dad. He was a jazz saxophone player. But he would get dropped off there and sit on that bench, and I would just go take my lunch with him. I'd go get a hot dog from the place yeah. next door and then sit out there and talk to him forever. I miss those dudes. Yeah, it's over now. That's gone, isn't it? Um, what were the years that you were in New York for? Mm, 95-ish to 2000. But I, I, had, okay. I wasn't there that whole entire time. I was there for like a couple of years. I would come back here, then I would go back there, yeah. and then I would come back here. I was doing shows and stuff, so I'd be living there, but come back here to do a show, and then go back there and traveling. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, I came back to Savannah kind of permanent when Scholar was when Scholar was born. Yeah. Okay. I want to back up a little I bit. Like I got ahead of myself a little bit. So as you're graduating from high school, were you like right away? Were you thinking you want to launch into some kind of music career? I was in a band when I graduated, and I was supposed to go to the Air Force Academy. I'd been accepted to the Air Force Academy. I was going to be a pilot which is kind of my, my dad really wanted me to be that. I wanted to be that too. And I had the recommendation. I had all that shit. Um, but I was also wanted to marry this girl. I was in a Christian band at the time. And at that time, and I don't know if it's still true, but at that time, you could not be married and be a cadet. So I was like, well, I'm not doing that then. And boy, that infuriated my father. Not but doing I, the marriage thing or the cadet thing? That I wasn't going to go to college because of a girl. Okay. That he knew wasn't going to work out, of course. Um, and plus, I was in my band, and our band this at this time, Christian music was massive. Yeah. And was this when Creed was big? This was before. Okay. This is when like Carmen was big, um, Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant. Yeah. Pat, uh, you know, anyway, 
Well, and rock bands too. There was a lot of popular like kind of indie style rock happening, you know. And that was what I played acoustic guitar with my band and all that. Okay, so at this point you've yeah you transitioned from our band is to making a, We made a nice demo in Macon at the oh yeah studio. We're trying to pitch record labels. And I can't remember what happened, but we were in that process. And then for some reason, we were going to get a record deal, and then instead the band broke up. And I can't remember why. But then that happened. And so then, what did I do then? I was going, trying to go to college at night. Of course, that didn't work because it was horrible. Um, and during the day, I was doing electrical work and working at the airport. I worked at the FBO, fueling private aircraft little tiny like Cessnas and Lear Lear jets and shit like that I worked there for a long time on the weekends and did, and then did electrical work during the day hmm. out of the lane like I worked for a company that was building houses out of the landings so like multi-income homes oh that's like so wild nice. you're at the airport and you're at the landings I was just working that's and then bad. I quit well I didn't have anything like the only time I had where I didn't have anything to do was like during the week at night so that's when I started doing like musical theater stuff which is what I had done in high school too so I would learn my lines during the day mm. on the job and then go to rehearsal that night so there was a musical theater scene in like oh my Savannah? god yes it was Back amazing okay. yes oh it was incredible there were some of the best musicals put on in the 90s mm. in Savannah at City Light See, there was such a thriving scene and I was doing City Lights Theater and um, the uh, Savannah, uh, what's the technical name of it then? It was like the Cultural Arts Savannah, Cultural okay. Arts. Cultural Arts Center. Uh, Kelly Miley was directing then. Because I did, uh, what did I do? What was the first one she had? Cinderella. Yeah. It was a great production. Production was great. Um, so yeah, thriving scene in the 90s. That's so cool. I never Jim Maricus was involved oh, yeah. in. He did... Like, even in the 80s, there was uh, Shakespeare in the Square. And I remember going so to watch cool. Shakespeare in the Square, and then we did Shakespeare in the Park one year. We did Othello. And what else? Because Chris Susie helped me do a fight scene. It was um, <laughs> for, it was the, no, 10 minute, uh, 10 minute Hamlet. Oh, that was so much fun. And you got to do a stage fight? Uh, of course, it was horrible and <laughs> funny, cause of, but I played all the women, I think, in the show. It's very Shakespearean, right? Like yeah, the classic was, thing. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun though. But yeah, thriving theater scene back then. It was so much fun. Do you so if you're acting in a performance like that, do people do you make any money for it or is it oh, literally then? just volunteer? No, no, no. This was community theater. Okay. I mean City Lights was a legitimate theater, Jim uh, Holt and Jody Chapin. Um, I kind of was coming into that when they had, it was already built and I was like, Wow, this is incredible, this small, beautiful theater and it was just the talent that they would, uh, between not only them and the people that they had in there, but the shows they would choose and what went on there was fantastic. I love that theater. Um, if I won the lottery, I would buy that place back and turn it back into a theater. I would love that. Uh, I'm going to put out good vibes to you that you won the lottery. Um, but yeah, I loved it. They were, Jim was legit. He had another theater before then, City Lights, and it, I can't remember the name of it now because it was before my time. But at any rate, yeah, yeah. They, that, there were some amazing shows there. And you had kind of discovered in high school you started doing musical theater, and that's how you got into the voice part of your Yeah, because I was in the band, and then one day, I'm paraphrasing what happened, but the theater teacher heard that I could sing, and when I was coming out of lunch one day, he came up to me, because I might have been in chorus at the time, because my best friend was in chorus, so I'm sure he was like, you have to be in chorus with me. You know, just so he wasn't lonely in class. Yeah. And my friend Jason was going to be in the musical, maybe, and I think that's who I was in the band with, and I think he had told the theater teacher, like, hey, my friend could sing, and I know you're looking for people. So he was like, please come audition. And I, I did. I was like, I don't know anything about acting or singing or anything. I'll come do it. Did you think you were a good singer? No, God, no. If you walk, look at videos of me when I was singing, like, in the bottle school, it's horrific. Okay, um, okay. So I have no idea what they were thinking but um and it was Pippin no or did we do the Fantastics first I can never remember but at any rate we did Pippin and I was Pippin amazing my, my best friend my best friend at the time Jason mm. I had two best friend Jasons but one of them was in my band and he played the leading player so that was great 
because we played well off of each other because we so, were friends. So the theater teacher thought you had a good voice and they saw something. And, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. Kelly Duran. I mean, he he's probably done more for me than anybody else because he gave me confidence. I mean, and encouraged me and lifted me up and... Yeah, did you have solos in this performance? Oh, God, yes. So how did you... So you come in and you audition and you don't think you have a good voice and then you're in this performance and you have solos. As the lead. That must... I mean, how do you get through that? That must be really hard. Yeah, but I didn't know what... I didn't... At the time, I wasn't really into musical theater, so I didn't know who was good or bad. Yeah. You were just like... I was just comparing myself to the other people around me. I wasn't like, you know, this is... Think about it, pre-internet and shit. You can't just get online and hear a musical unless somebody had a record or a tape or I was going to go like search it out and I had too many other things to do. So, okay. so I was started, just listening to him. So you started doing some musical theater in school and eventually, yeah. and then you have confidence from that. Yeah. And I kept doing it out of high school. That's then I was like, well, maybe I'll do it. I'll audition for this show that the city's having an audition for. And then I would see they would have audition for city. You know, that one thing would lead to the next and you would go, yeah. that's how it was then. It was so awesome. Cause you would go, from show to show to show to show. When this one's over and it wrapped, yeah. you would go to the audition for the one next week and then you're starting that one. So you have this keep family going. that goes oh, around to all these things. Oh, it was amazing. I have, we could talk about that for hours. You talk about good people is the old school theater peeps from back in those days. And if y'all both now, y'all know who I'm talking about because <laughs> I got pictures of all y'all. Were you getting, so as you're going through the, like rehearsal process for all these, would you be getting any kind of voice training or anybody helping you along or are you just kind of chugging through it? I couldn't, um, well, I was in chorus, so that kind of helped because my friend, other friend Jason, who was also an organist and piano player and all that, great reader of music. I still to this day can't read vocal music very well and I've never been good at bass clef. I'm trying to, always trying to get better at it. I'm better now, of course, than I probably was then. But I'm not a sight reader at all, like vocally. There's, you know, a real vocalist who reads sheet music and went to school for all that. And we know who we're talking about, pros. They can get up and do that. That's not me, though. I'm not that person. Yeah. But somebody can kind of get me there, maybe. Did you, so, so at some point then you, you started that phase of your life where you were kind of popping back and forth between New York and here. So you started, like, transitioning into a career where you were doing these live singing performances. I, for a long time, I wasn't really doing music. I got, I was working for a dance competition called International Dance Challenge. They owned a few other companies and all dance competitions and dance conventions and also a costume company, Artstone. And of course, my ex-wife, Trina, Gretchen Green School of Dance, dancer. So there were connections in the dance world and I can't remember how I got roped into that, but at any rate, I was what I did was I was an MC for these weekend like little uh, competitions you would see. Yeah, yeah. You would come up, and the dancers are going to come in. So back then, this is cassette tapes. So they're bringing cassettes, and you have to line the cassettes up, put them in order of the show. You're playing them. Somebody set yeah. the program, this and that. And I'm introducing it. You know, ladies and gentlemen number 185 in the 15 to 16 jazz category, you know, all that jazz. So you had to be doing like a little bit of patter and having some personality. Yeah, and there were judges adjudicating on tape. So then you also have to deal with any problems that comes up. Susie Q messes up or she throws up or whatever, (laughs) this and that. And then you have to do the awards after. And then I was in charge of me and my crew of making all that happen, putting the trophies together, getting there the day before, putting all the trophies together, putting the awards table out for, that's going to last, you know, two 16-hour days. Oh, this MC gig is a real... Oh, yeah, I did that. I would do that every weekend. I would leave, like, on a Friday. Sometimes we'd leave on Thursday Mm. and come back on a Monday, and I'd be gone every weekend from January to April. I traveled weekend, 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 boom, 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 boom. I would do that. I did that for... Yeah. Years. So you just had all this experience speaking in front of crowds and like leading a performance, but not actually singing. You were just kind of right. doing this little song and dance for people. In fact, how it started that I started singing was I had gone to a stupid mall one day with my friend on an off day, and they had one of those recording booths, and I went in there and sang a Sinatra song. It was horrible. But he was like, you should do that. And I was like, oh, that's funny. So I bought a bunch of tracks 
And I was kind of teaching myself that for a while on the side. And then I don't know how I did it for somebody. One day I just did it for someone. And they were like, dude, you should pitch that to like a bar. And I was like, <laughs> people would listen to this. <laughs> the tracks were horrible too. They were like MIDI tracks, you know. <laughs> it sounded bad. But I eventually found some nice ones. But yeah. But it was like Sinatra era kind of songs. It was all Sinatra tunes. And I made this whole little stupid show. <laughs> um that ha- I say stupid, but I put a lot of thought into the order of the songs with the sets, and it kind of went through the timeline of Sinatra's career. Um, yeah, he did it really. What it did do is it made me learn a whole bunch of music, and then I read a bunch of books, so I actually learned all about this stuff, kind of uh, really getting me into the Great American Songbook. Well, it's very like a movie that you just go do something for fun, and a friend is like, "Hey, you should consider this for real," and then you, and then begins this montage where you're learning and you're doing it, and then you have success in it. I can't very remember much like a movie. who got me to do it. I think it was Charles who was this really sweet man who had a cigar shop, he Stogie's. And it was when Il Pasticcio was the restaurant mm. on the corner of Broughton. And he was managing the club upstairs called, oh God, it was such a good name, Moxie. Cute. And he said, I would love for you to come do your act. So he hired me to come up and I did like three sets. And there was no, there was nobody there. It was like, I even brought a sound guy because I, I had the shows on CDs. So I was like, I'm going to say this and then you go to number two. You know? <laughs> yeah, so it was I all was planned like out. signaling him. And, <laughs> but there were like four people there that had shown up all older that wanted to hear me talk about this stuff. And they enjoyed themselves. Uh, but at the end, my sound guy, Buddy, was like, if you want to keep doing that, we've got to cut all this talking out. <laughs> uh, and he was he was right. So did the owner of the, bar, the Moxie's guy, did he like your performance? He was into it? Yeah, he just was like, we need to change you. So then he put me upstairs in like the nightclub, and he was like, I'm going to have you go up there. I want you to do a show at midnight. And he would bring me in at weird times just to come do a show. Yeah. Um, would there be people in the audience? Yeah, it would be a time when it was packed up there. You know, they pulled it, and it was the hip place then. Yeah. But I'd just be in the corner, like in this oversized tuxedo that didn't fit with my little Sinatra microphone singing. (laughs) I was kind of overdoing it a little bit. But it was, yeah, it's what got me to get jazzed when I started singing there. Oh, yeah? Um, How would you get paid for that? Is it based on, like, tickets? Like, the one at the club? No, they were just bar gigs, so you got played a... A flat it's just a flat fee okay you know you could get you know of course ask for tips if you yeah um, so were you starting to think at that point that this was what you loved and you wanted to really delve into that well I was working at Starbucks Skylar was very young she was like three and a half four at the time and I was really working a lot at Starbucks but I, I needed money so I was like oh let me figure out how I can do this gig, you know, only doing this for a couple of hours. And if I could make a couple of hundred bucks, that'd be great. Yeah. If I could do this a couple of times a week, make it easy. So that's what I did. Then I went to a couple of bars and just said, hey, blah, blah, blah. And my sister used to work at this place on Broughton Street, and it was called New Orleans Brick Oven. And Brian and Julie were the owners. And my sister had been waitressing there, and she didn't work there anymore, but she said, hey, Brian and Julie are about to open up a place downtown called Jazzed. So I went in and told Brian, like, let me know when you're going to open. I'd love to pitch something to you. So I can't remember. They, he had already opened, and I can't remember who was doing the booking there. But I went in there, and I said, hey, Brian, I'm Christy's brother. Do you remember me? He's like, oh, yeah. I said, I'd love to come in and just do a set for you. Uh, so I came. I brought my equipment down there. I think I did like four or five songs. And he was, and I said, well, what do you think? And he said, I'll tell you what. I'm having a really horrible time on Thursday. Why don't you come in on Thursday? And I don't even know that he was going to pay me. I think it was an agreement that let me just come in and see. Yeah. And um, <laughs> you were on spec, kind of. I think after that Thursday, 
I think I worked there every Thursday for 10 plus years. I didn't realize that that whole period that you were singing at jazz, that it was a brand new place. That yeah, kind of it was pretty in. new at the that. time. I want to say not even a year. Yeah. So it was pretty young. Wow. J.C. Falk, I think that was who was doing the booking. But at any rate, Brian and Julie, boy, I tell you what, Brian. And they just, you know, sold the place. Um, but So you were there for 10 years. I was there for longer than that. I mean, Thursday night is the big night, downtown Savannah, because Scat, Scat doesn't have classes on Fridays, so Thursday is the big night Oh, to my go God. Out. At the time, it was madness in there on Thursdays. It was wild. We had some good times in that place. That place is interesting because where you're singing, there's not like a state, there's not like a higher up stage. You're just on the same floor, the same level as everyone. So I know people could just be kind of crowded around you. You're well, right I had next a to stage. the bar. You did? Okay. Well, because Brian didn't like, I'm short. So if I'm just standing, right, on it's the just floor. me with that little microphone and people are standing there. And people are so close to you. They couldn't the bar, see me. All so Brian right built this little stage and Every Thursday, I would come in, and he'd set that stage up. It was yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, to give I don't you some think space anybody else from the people, because I know Jessica. Yes. So I'll say I'm good friends with Trey's wife, Jessica Pope. She would say that women would just kind of be mobbing you, women hanging out at the bar. Well, musicians that happens to every you know. All right, all right. People want to get up on. Uh, I'd like there to be some space too, but yeah. people that didn't stop people from standing up on that stage. People got up there plenty of times and took that microphone out of my hand. But there's a... You know. Oh, they thought they were, like, in a karaoke bar suddenly? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> and fair enough, I'm playing to tracks. You know, there yeah, wasn't, yeah. like, a real band. So, like, if it's just me singing, it, it wasn't untypical for someone to come up and ask me to sing something really weird. Okay. Because they think I would just have it up there. Um they feel yeah. comfortable, like they could just come up and just join you and yeah, be doing it together. Absolutely. And you know what? I, I, good on them. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I had a, ever had a bad experience. There was a couple of times where everybody's had those experiences. Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, that's when that, people are drinking a lot, it's... You that, know. that takes some moxie of the people to get up there and offer that to you. Oh, interesting. you know, people oh. are, human beings are interesting, <laughs> aren't they? Um, okay, well, this is, we're going to, this is a great time to take a little break halfway through our show. We're going to do some station announcements, and everybody, I'm with local musician Trey Gurley, and we will be back. You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. Trees are one of Chatham County's most treasured natural resources. Beyond their beauty and cultural significance, the impact of trees are far-reaching and compounding, spanning from economic benefits to health improvements to climate change resilience. Trees are woven into every aspect of our lives. Savannah Tree Foundation protects and grows Chatham County's urban forest through tree planting, community engagement, and advocacy. More information is available at savannatree.org. This portion of WRUU's programming is brought to you by listeners and by Brighter Day Natural Foods. Brighter Day Natural Foods has been serving Savannah's healthy food and supplement needs since 1978. It is located at the corner of Bull Street and Park Avenue. They have online ordering and curbside delivery available. And now a walk-up window for smoothies, juices, and sandwiches from the deli. They are open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Sunday. More information can be found at brighterdayfoods.com. What does it mean when we say that WRUU is a community radio station? It doesn't just mean that we invite the community to create programming. And it doesn't just mean that we're a voice for the community. It also means that we're counting on the community to keep us going. And you are the community. Almost all of our modest budget comes from small annual or monthly donations from listeners like you. You get to enjoy our community-focused programming because many others have stepped forward to do their part. Now do your part by joining our community of listener donors. Go to WRUU.org right now and make a one-time or monthly donation. And thank you for supporting Savannah's community radio station, 107.5 FM. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is Arts on the Air and I'm Tamara Garvey and I'm sitting with local musician and singer Trey Gurley. Welcome back, Trey. Woo! I want to ask you, so we were just talking about this at the break, just real quick. We were talking about like 
listening to one's own voice and how that is and you said you don't listen back to yourself do you mean your speaking voice or your singing voice can you listen back oh. to your singing voice no okay I mean uh, like you can't just go back and listen to a performance no prob- I probably should but uh. that's so interesting because for the average you know non-musician person it's really hard for people to listen back to their own speaking voice on a recording so I didn't know how that would work for a musician if it's that same yeah well yeah, yeah. I don't know some people I, you know some people have a, a problem with it I, I probably shouldn't have a problem with it but the problem is I have to make peace with whatever it is or instead of picking it to death you know it's like it's like going to a concert and I you know I used to go to concerts and beginning you're all I could do was like think about ooh, ooh, or that's not the, oh, the instead of enjoying yeah. what's happening you know um, you know how uh, what I mean is when people go to a show and they want the song to sound like it does on the record and being disappointed when it doesn't. Right, right, right. You know, but I realized I don't like playing the same thing over and over the same way either. That's boring. Yeah, so this other person was feeling the same way when they prepared this. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I don't know. I like every time to be a little bit different, so I think listening back on something, I'll be thinking like, but I'm never going to sing it that way again, so... But sometimes I have to do that. I mean, if I'm doing like a professional thing, like if I were doing a... In the old days, I'm doing a show with like Natasha or Cecilia, you know, we're singing with other people. And you have to be at a certain place at a certain time and do it a certain way, yes. But if I'm just like doing a gig, yeah, I'm not going to probably think that much about it. I'll move right past it. I'm never going to judge my performance is what I mean. I'm usually like, yeah. that was fun. You're not going to be like, and then we're on to the next one. What is it called? Monday morning quarterbacking? You're not going to do that. No. Yeah. I'm not going to overthink it too much or, you know, I don't want to do that. Okay, so I did want to talk to you about, so when we left off at the break, you were talking about how for the first, like, 10 years that Jazz was open, you were regular, yeah. you were singing there every Thursday night, and you, so your your repertoire is, what do you, I think of it as, like, big band music. Is that the term for it? What is this era that's, like, Sinatra well, I guess and Perry Yeah, Well, when I was doing the jazz stuff, those were, like, a lot of those arrangements are big band arrangements, so they're, okay. you know, orchestras and stuff. So a lot of the musicians, the songs you sing, it's um, Johnny Mercer, Cole Porter, Sinatra, Gershwin. Is there is there a name for that era or that genre of music? Well, the Great American Songbook. Okay. You know, like um, you know, Sinatra and you know Tony Bennett, who just passed me recipes. Um, probably at the forefront as far as males. You know, you're looking at who yeah. the greats were in that era, and that's them, and. Um, I kind of got, I went kind of past Sinatra. I wasn't into that. When I was younger, I was into, I was to a lot of soul music and I was into country music at the time too, like in the, through the 80s and all that stuff. And um, so I really didn't, I kind of wasn't into the older stuff. And then my buddy Jamie Garner hipped me to it. We had done musicals together. And that's who I lived with the second time I was up in New York. And he had, how had I, I was in, oh, I've told this story a million times, so I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I ended up being in in Hoboken, New Jersey, the day that Sinatra died on a dance competition. And when I went back to uh, the apartment, I told Jamie about it. I was like, they, this guy died and they were making such a big deal out of it. And he was like, you don't know who Frank Sinatra is. He was like mortified. Um, so we went right into his bedroom and it was like a movie. He opened the tiny little closet and pulled out his record player. And then he had a little stack of albums and pulled them out. And he put that first Sinatra record on and boom, we listened to the whole stack. And he was like, this guy's like the best. Yeah. And he only had one ear. Did he? Yeah, he had a busted eardrum from birth. Huh, I never knew that. But I think he had perfect pitch, maybe? I don't know, I could be, ooh, I should have Googled that. Okay. <laughs> maybe that's just something that I have in my mind. <laughs> we'll but, look that up, I'll put that But in he is known shadows. for his pitch, so I, I think I could be right about mm-hmm. that. But any rate. Did you feel this, this affinity where you were like, this is a style of Well, when I heard his thing? voice, I remember... You know, you didn't hear a lot of men singing like men. 
you know, the 80s music, when we were listening to it, think about it, you're listening to like Peter Cetera, Boy That's High, Kenny Loggins, High, all high singing guys. <laughs> um, but then I heard Sinatra with his nice, well, when he was young, he had a, a higher voice, but the Sinatra I was listening to was like the comeback Sinatra in the 60s, and he had that nice silky baritone, and I was like, ooh, that sounds nice. Um, and I figured out that I could, my voice kind of sat in that same like area. Yeah. Um, and that also nobody else was singing that stuff. Um, so once I kind of put all the little items together, like all of that, and then I've learned more about Johnny Mercer and he was from Savannah and I was like, Oh, then I became excited about, um, this type of music and the influence that it had. And I love singing the song so much. They're so fun to sing. Um, and a lot of musicians know them. See, so, I you know that I had to start learning, you know, who are the piano players around town. Yeah. Um, because I'd only been singing to tracks, you know, jazz. Yeah, so just so you would have, you'd find some kind of tape that you can buy that's just the musical part of it? Oh, yeah, I went down this rabbit hole one time, and this guy... I can't remember even how I found him, but he was a guy who had a small orchestra and he would record the orchestra just without the vocal and it would sound exactly like the Sinatra track. Okay. And that's how he would pitch it and he would sell blah, blah, blah. And he had a whole bunch of them. And he was like, hey, I'll just give them all to you for this. I cannot believe he gave them to me. <laughs> but this was before people really on the edge of people starting to sell stuff that way. Um, it's so funny to think about you, like, dressed nicely, performing at jazz, like, hitting play on a little cassette player had, or something to play well, this music. Yeah, I upgraded it to an iPod. <laughs> okay. I still have it. <laughs> and it has, it says, like, Sinatra 1, 2, 3, 4, like, Sinatra bonus. And then there's, like, another extra with, like, a couple of other ones on there. Um, but I use that forever at jazz. <laughs> What was the, so yeah. if you're performing every single week at this one place downtown, yeah. there must be, you're getting a lot of experience really fast with just like singing to crowds and what works and the pacing and stuff. What are some kind of like, fit, like lessons you had to learn about getting your performance better? Ooh. Well, those songs come fast. Okay. So like if, if I have a piano player playing with me now, when we were to play for a set, which is like 45 minutes or whatever, we're going to do, I don't know, eight songs maybe with those tracks I'm gonna sing 45 minutes I'm gonna sing 12 songs because they're so short mm. there's no soloist there you can't extend it you can't change it it's the same way every time and there's no break that song's done there's like a three count and then the next one goes right in so if I don't make it to that pause button I'm keeping okay. it <laughs> but it was fun you know um and then I had the sets like set up because the first set was kind of people are just getting there so I would kind of it was a little softer yeah uh, and it would kind of build up and then maybe the last song of that set I think was Fly Me to the Moon okay like that the would big, like get your attention one. and I'd be like I'm gonna be right back okay <laughs> and then I'd sit down at the end of the bar and get another scotch and smoke another cigarette so and then oh, when you come back for the second set you have to start right off at like a high note because people are listening then yeah I see I blocked it out now I couldn't tell you <laughs> what the, the second song was but it was something very similar to the same cadence of fly me to the moon probably yeah. it could have been come fly with me no that was the start of the fourth set but something very similar about like, four sets it, it's going to be something you recognize probably um so that you and that gives me an excuse to play a couple that you don't know because you got to have some fluff in there. That yeah. You know all the songs. Yeah. And... Yeah. That's, it's interesting. They get like, we're the, you're taking them through a performance, like through the night. It's sort of an emotional up and down. Yeah. Because there's a lot down. of ballads in there. So yeah. I have to, I had to like line it up right. Um, but yeah, it was fun. And there was another guy who would do kind of the same thing. God, I can't remember his name. Maybe it was, oh, I don't want to say wrong name. Uh, but he would play it on Wednesday. He would come in and play on Wednesdays for a while there. I remember, um, but yeah, I'm jazzed. Have you ever just been singing, been in the middle of the song, and suddenly your mind goes blank and you just forget? Oh, yes. Yeah, I think everybody's had that. 
experience. And it was probably because I was drinking too much, one. Mm. No, actually, that hardly ever happened to me when I was drinking too much. I thought it was really good, I'm sure. It could have probably been because I was thinking about somebody I'm looking at over here <laughs> or whatever. What do you do then? You just riff until you get it back? Oh, I would just fake it out like there was supposed to be. That's the beauty of the track is the band's going to keep going. So I know where all the little hits are, and I'll just kind of lean over and take a sip of my drink like <laughs> I meant to do that, and then I'll just pop right back in. That's good. You always are able to get it back. I don't think point. I did that that often because I, you know, I knew those songs pretty well. Like with the tracks, I think it was harder for me to get a grasp on playing with other people. Once I started kind of like, oh, I need to be performing with other musicians. Yeah. Was this with a- no disrespect to jazz. That that had its. Pl- I loved that, um, but. So I guess the, when you were playing there, no, people couldn't really like request things of you because you just had not really because I had lined up to yeah you. I yeah. had a certain ones and then I did have like ones that I knew maybe people might like kind of in an off thing like if they heard me do a Michael Bublé song I knew that they might request this one so I was like oh I know I can probably sing that one and yeah. I'll have it over onto the you side. Use some alternates. Um, but it, but I did know a lot of songs because I was at this I was playing with like piano players and stuff at the time so yeah. it would suck if they would come up and request a song that I knew but I just didn't have a good track for it and I was like oh dude I can't find that track right, but the right. track for that sucks <laughs> you know and it would be an easy song like Stormy Monday or yeah another Sinatra tune that means something to someone and I'm like oh I don't have okay. that one you know like can you play Angel Eyes and I'm like oh I love that song because <laughs> it's such like a sad ballad and I'm like I don't have that one so once you started performing with a piano player as long as that person knew it too then you could just take on requests oh that was the best part yeah because then I found out how these dudes did it I had no idea before then what is called a fake chart it's a lead sheet it's just like a progression here I'll show you what it looks like yeah so it's a fake chart it's called a fake chart, or because um, they're called fake books, the books okay. that have these in them, but they're called lead sheets. Okay. See, I'm new to learning all this, uh, or at that time, you know. I, um, yeah, it's interesting. So this is it. It's like the chord changes to the song. There's no words. There's no piano riff. Like on a piece of piano music, it'll show you the music of a few riff. Right. So this is literally just the chord progression. So if you hear know how the song goes, and you have this. Yeah. You'll be like, oh, I can play it. Okay. So it's like, I could put that in front of Mark, and he would be like, that'll work. Okay. Well, I'll have to post it. This image is cool. It's just it's just you know. a list of the different chords. That yeah, the play. changes of the chords and kind of... What are some really new songs that you might be thinking about? Like, here, I'll play. You want me to play one? Yeah. Let's see, like, oh, man, I love this song. These are just ideas, so I don't know if they'll make it in, but I want to cover this song really bad. Of course, I don't have horns, but it could be emulated, but the vibe I like. Okay, so this is Sharon Jones and yeah, the Yeah, Sharon Kings. Jones, 100 Days, 100 Nights. I just like the vibe of it. Mm. It's got a... Oh, yeah. Everybody knows this song. But if you heard that, you'd be like, oh. So you're saying this sheet doesn't exist for this? No, but it's not hard, like... I could give that to someone like Mark. Uh, well, I hope it's Mark Sunderlisses, but if I were to give this song to Mark and say, can you make me a chart for this? Yeah. He would probably, like a fake chart like this, he would have no problem doing it, and then he could probably do it with the little horn licks too. Easy. Cool. Well, I look forward to hearing this then. Oh, probably. we'll see what happens. So that's like <laughs> one of my ideas. Uh, um, but of course, that's I can't sing it in that key because it's Sharon Jones. Um, so I wanted to ask, so did you start, eventually your career got to where you're do, getting booked for a lot of weddings and private parties and things? Is that from people seeing you at jazz? Like yes. that's really what grew you? Oh, I can't tell you how many gigs I got from jazz. And I had a lot of things happen because of that. I mean, um, and I played at this place on Wednesdays called Tango. That was a place on Tabby. Oh, you had another regular thing. I did that for like three years there. Tim was very nice to me as well. Mm. Um, but people would hear me and then they would come to book me for their wedding. Like, hey, we were on a first date on a Thursday night. We, You were the 
you know, people were like, you should go hear this guy on your date, and they would like, hey, will you please sing at the wedding? And, oh my God, I love that. Oh man, I've done so many of those. <laughs> I mean, I was so lucky to sing at people's weddings that have a story like that, so you know, where they would be like, we want to have you do the cocktail hour, or... Yeah. Um... So getting to be in like doing meaningful stuff like that, it's really nice because then they have a connection, and that ha- has happened a lot more than I've thought. I mean, I've been people have flown me places oh. like to to do that. Like, yeah, what's some of your memorable places that you've performed? This one couple had a jazz like moment, and they flew me. She emailed me, and she was like, "I know it's a lot, but would you consider?" We're getting married at the Hotel Del Coronado. So she hired me. She said, what, is it, what do you need? So they like got a little PA that I needed and everything. And so all I was going to have to bring was my little like iPod. And she said, we want you to come and enjoy. So they got me like, and it was facing like the courtyard. My little villa thing that they got me. And I got to stay there for like two days before. Mm. Do the wedding. And I literally staying at the cocktail hour outside there yeah and then I was done and she said then please enjoy the reception and then I stayed for another day so that was a great vacation you got for that oh my god it was so much fun um they were so nice to me yeah um so doing like stuff like that I got to sing that I've just got to sing at every cool place in Savannah that that's also cool yeah, were you ever, did you ever have a fun, you were just out in the marshland, out in the swamps? Oh, like a real singing out. Uh, I've sang out um, um, Austin Hill. He had me come sing at his father's funeral out there because their property was right next to the old Johnny Mercer's property in the Spoon River. Wow. And he was like, can you please come sing Moon River? <laughs> there and I'm. St- I remember standing there, going, "I'm standing here, like Johnny Mercer's house is like right there, and I'm like facing. This is what he thought about. It was like one of those moments. Yeah, um, yeah. And they were so sweet to me, and of course he still is. He's a very kind person. Um, and getting to sing at any Johnny Mercer event when there was a special event, yeah, um, was incredible. Do they uh, not do special things anymore? For, like maybe it's on, been a minute, maybe? on like milestone years, maybe they might do. The last one I did was at like the Luca or at the um, excuse me, I think it was at the Johnny Mercer Theater. Mm. The last time Nancy was alive, because I remember that I remember that one specifically because she requested me to sing that song, and I remember her sitting right there. She was so sweet to me. That was Johnny Mercer's niece. But yeah, this time like with singing and performing has been nothing but oh my god I've met like the musicians I get to play with and perform with are like not only like the best musicians in town but then like the greats in the town you know like Huxy like Scott I get to sing with her you know sometimes and she's my friend you know um, and then all the good musicians that perform with me I am so lucky because this town is just rich with so much musical talent I don't have to tell you that. I mean, you go out and listen to music around here. Do you guys, I was wondering, so if you get booked for a private event like this, do you guys practice together beforehand, or do you show up at a gig and you're just it, well, doing it? If it's like um, American songbook stuff like this, jazz stuff, jazzy, whatever, yeah. there's no rehearsing. We're just, um, I mean, I have like a set list that I've made, a few of them that are just on my phone that's, I don't even know how old they are. It's like a picture of a piece of paper that was like coffee stained, like set one, two, three, and it's like yeah. boom, boom. Um, so if we can't come up with anything, you got that. Um, but usually I just like to call them. I, I think that annoy- some musicians like that, I think other people, it probably annoys them. But I have a little idea, but most of the time I'll say, let's do this one at the top, and then I'll say, I don't know, what do y'all want to do now? Yeah. Or, yeah. And if I'm with like-minded people, they'll say, well, why don't we do this? Or what do you think? I mean, I just like being a part of us doing it together. I have yeah. no problem, like, just telling you what to do, but uh, I'm much more for the experience of, you know, trying something and then turn around and go, well, that didn't work. Or, you know. So it's just very on the fly. Yeah, maybe we need to speed yeah. it up a little. Or, you know, having that 
as I want to play, I want to perform with people. I, I don't want to be just calling it. Right, right. Where they're not just this background players yeah. for you. If we're doing, that's like a gig. If we're just doing a gig, like it's a cocktail party or something. But if I'm doing a show, now there's, they will be rehearsing for the show. Yeah. Because people are paying attention. That's different. Yeah. But a gig, you can take more chances at a gig, especially if the people are fun and they're like, I love it when people <laughs> are like, say, do your thing. Yeah. <laughs> we have so much fun. We just do our thing. And those are the people that call us back. <laughs> or, you know, whoever I'm playing, they're like, we're going to find a party for you guys to play. Or next time I have people, I'm going to have yeah, you guys yeah. over. Because they're... It was a great vibe. We just have a good time. We play some music. And then we're usually like, you know, just hanging with them at the end. And, and so you're now, you're in a band called band. El Alma. Is that right? El Alma. El Alma. Yeah, I don't... Uh, so this is your, your regular guys that you're uh, with sometimes. Well... Yeah. I'm named, it's, I'm named, so, it's, so you have Vuk on drums, Jared Hall on yep. keys, yep. and Ryan Kelly on bass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is from your website. Yeah, I kind of, I don't know why. El Alma is a name that Jared came up with because we had to have a name. He had to submit the name of the band for whatever the name of the gig was. So that It might have been like at Starland Yard or something. Jared's my, my go-to because if I need a piano player or he could also, he knows my voice and my tunes too. Um, Vuk, of course, that's a, that's a no-brainer. Um, I just love Vuk. Uh, and Ryan is kind of new. I used to have Mark. Oh, Mark's so busy. Yeah. Mark used to be my, you know, I can still get Mark. So Mark we're talking about Mark Chesanow, who does Chesanow. the intro and outro music for the show. Oh, yeah, shout yeah. out, Mark. <laughs> yeah, Mark's, um, I, I love Mark, but, you know, he's so, uh, he's an in-demand player, as he should be. Um, but I also have another in-demand player, Ryan Kelly, who, um, I, Ryan, uh, Ryan, we needed Ryan for a gig that Jared and I had that was like a f fancy little private gig, and at the very last minute, she wanted a bass player, and I just kind of tossed it to Jared and was like, everybody's booked, bro, and I don't even know who to call, and he was like, well, I know this guy, so Ryan literally took the gig, sight unseen, mm. showed up. And I made him wear a tuxedo too, and we were outside under the tent in the rain, playing. It, it's a was amazing. Um, what a trooper! He was a trooper and didn't bat an eyelash. And then, um, oddly enough, I just found out not too long ago, and it's weird that I never put this together, that he is the grandson of the great Emma Kelly, who is one of my heroes of Savannah lore, the, the, lady, the, of ten, of the lady of songs? lady of ten thousand songs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just found this out not too, too long ago wow. and went over to his house and I was like, what? Because Jared told me at a gig <laughs> and I was like, right before we were starting a gig. And he was like, oh yeah, Ryan, that's uh, Emma Kelly's grandson. He's and a I was like, legacy. What? <laughs> I had no idea. So I had to go over to his house and um, I, I'm just kind of still enamored by that. And he was like, I've got her piano in the living room. And I was like, wow. oh, you better stop. Anytime you want to come play it. Oh! <laughs> So yeah, she was a legend, and I got to sing with her a few times before she passed when Scholar was just a baby. Huh. But yeah, Emma Kelly, legend. And now you have her grandson as your bass player. That's right. But Ben Kaiser will be joining us on guitar also. Joining ben Kaiser you. at jazz. Okay, we'll talk about your jazz thing. Theme. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, well, so in the spring, you um, you dipped back into your musical theater history, and you played Billy in oh, yeah. a performance of Once by the Savannah Repertory Theater. Yes. So that was fun. So you got back into acting, like, it had been since high school, or since since early I had Savannah not days. Done, yeah, I did. It had been a long, long time. Yeah. Ten, ten years longer So you that. acted and sang in a musical again. What was, it, what was it like, the difference between having to play a part and sing versus just performing oh I had a lot well, you know got to memorize lines yeah um, I was actually playing an instrument in the show too so I had to really buckle down and pick up this instrument and play it hardcore you played acoustic guitar oh um, yeah in, okay. the, in the show yeah um, so that was a lot so usually when you're performing you're just singing so this must have been a lot to keep track of yeah I mean if I'm playing acoustic it's usually something I'm familiar with that's in my wheelhouse that I can play on. You know, I can pick it up, play it. But I had to play these songs and some of them are, you know, very fast. Ooh, what? The first time I saw somebody do it, I was like, I don't think I can do it. But Ryan was so, uh, Ryan McCurdy, 
could not have been more encouraging, um, saying, I know you could do that. You just need to do it. But I know you could do yeah. it. And it'll get there. And it did. It yeah. did. It got there. And it was, wow. So proud of everybody. It was so great. It was a great experience. So that must be nice, especially like at this point in your career, to still have done something that pushed you a lot technically. And, and um, if I'm 100% honest, I... My, I didn't think I was going to get cast for anything because uh, my goal my goal was just to audition. Um, that's the hardest thing I think that people do when they have to audition and me being a very uh, anxious person to begin with, you know, I was always horrible at auditions. I was lucky that I did so many shows where I was either precast or they would have me come in and do something because they were like, we already know what you could do, but I would go into like real auditions, real ones my voice would be horribly shaky. I would get nervous and sweaty and horrible. Um, so I was very lucky. Once I figured out the traits that Billy and I had in common, and then yeah. I, I just kind of uh, dug in and I went in and I, you know, found that uh, character, not, not on my own, but with the help of a great director and a great uh, cast, you know, I think if you find people. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, well, that does happen. That's the, that's the magic, right? Uh, and I can equate that. It's the same as putting the dudes in a room together, like when you mentioned practice. Yeah. That's why sometimes you don't need that, because if you're already on that wavelength, then you just all need to turn that switch on. Uh, then it just, something happens there. It's like electric, you know. Yeah, it's like all the ingredients for a yeah. recipe. And musicals do that, it's weird, and then, uh, plus that music, and then we were practicing in this room that, uh, that's all glass, hmm. and we'd be singing a cappella, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> I miss that, you know, it's, it's something beautiful, I miss being in a room with a dozen beautiful voices doing what they do best, and I just kept coming home going, I can't believe I'm singing with these people, these people are so talented, you know. There were some veterans in there, but these were a lot of young people. Yeah. E even the director and the, the talent was just spewing out of the room. I was like, oh, I was just feeding off their energy like well, a vampire. That's really nice. You had the experience. I hope you get to do that again. Oh, Same. yeah. It was so much fun. Yeah. What they're doing great things um, that, yeah, anybody listening support Savannah Repertory Theater. Yeah. Um, well, any well, local course, theater see. for that matter. So I want to talk just to end. So you have coming up your... Uh, reprising rep reprising your role at jazz and you have three performances coming up on saturdays there's going to be saturday august 19th which is going to be right after this airs yeah. and then september 23rd and october 14th you will be singing at jazz super excited you want to talk a minute about so this is um, going to be with your uh backup with el alma yeah okay so we're kind of uh i'm just getting the boys together um I'm well it's cool to see these three performances and they're a month apart so you can really yeah. change it up in between well the idea is to like hone that out and then what are some other in the future, you know, put it out there in public to make it happen? What are some like dream things that you just want to do in the future? Um, I'm definitely going to do another Christmas show. I, I did one last year uh, at the Roasting Room. Um, That's right, in uh, Bluffton. In Bluffton. I'll probably get someone like Isaac and let's figure out how to do a Christmas show here in Savannah. Okay. And kind of do what we did over there because it was so much fun. Um, got that. I don't know. I've got a couple of pop-up ideas, solo pop-up ideas. Um, networking that I'll talk to you about off the air. Cool. Do you have any uh, in closing, any sort of like words of about just sort of the current musical scene in Savannah? Anything you want to? Oh man, I'm so uh, loving what's going on musically in this town. I think the new hip group, of course, it's like the super group is uh, you know the Playboys. The Intercoastal Playboys. Oh, okay. You know, like Texas-style country. Oh, okay, like the Saturday afternoons at Yeah. Yonder. Okay. Trey, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure, and so so wild just hearing of all of your old Savannah oh stories. Oh, my gosh. And well, I love going I, on this wild ride with you. Well, thank you for coming over and letting me ramble. Lord have mercy. <laughs> I hope it was interesting. Okay, so everyone, keep an ear out. So this has been Trey Gurley, and he's going to be playing with his band El Alma at Jazzed on August 19th. September 23rd and October 14th, and this has been Arts on the Air. Next up on WRUU, That Old Savannah Magic from 4 to 6 p.m. It's a variety show featuring Savannah history, radio theater, interviews, and music.
You are listening to WRUULP, Savannah, Georgia, 107.5 FM. We are Savannah Soundings, community radio with a global soul. 